Well, it's going to be an interesting week with Jackson Hole coming up, a chance for central bankers to get together and figure out what to do next. Uh, President Trump is clear on what today they do next. He wants to get a vaccine faster before the election at any cost, it seems. And Friday told a tale of two continents. The US seems to be recovering. Europe seems to be slowing down again, except for COVID numbers, which are certainly on the rise in Europe. And in Australia, do the states need to do their bit to fund the recovery? It's Monday, the 24th of August, 2020. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar gained a little ground on Friday, but only a bit up on the DXY index over the week. But it's fair to say the slide that we've seen since mid-May, uh, well, there was a bit of a brief interlude in June, but it looks like it's stopped for now. Uh, US equities were up on Friday. Funny that, up 2.7% over the week for the NASDAQ, although that was uh, beaten by the NZX50 that was up 3.5% last week, half of that on Friday, uh, but not quite back to pre-COVID levels just yet, but closer to it than the ASX200, which lost a quarter percent last week. But back to the US, the NASDAQ and S&P 500 finished the week again at all-time highs. The Aussie dollar took a hit on Friday, down 0.4%, taking it slightly down over the week. The euro lost half a percent. The pound down almost 1%. Over the week, the big winner was the Japanese yen. It gained 0.75%. The Canadian dollar wasn't far behind it. Ten-year treasury yields ended the week at 0.63%, seven basis points down over the week. Yields on 30 years fell about the same down to 1.35% and a big fall in oil on Friday, losing 1.1% for WTI, but up a little for the week. And gold went up and down and finished the week flat. So it's uh, still sticking below $2,000 for now. And now Ray Attrell will kick off the week on the morning call. He's NAB's head of FX strategy based in Sydney. So the euro, European equities all down on Friday. Uh, but the, the flash PMIs gave us reason to consider that uh, Europe might actually be recovering slower than the US, perhaps. If we look at PMIs for uh, both sides of the Atlantic, very different story, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. Good morning, Phil. And um, certainly uh, not so much a tale of two cities, but a tale of two regions for sure. You contrast the uh, the market flash um, PMIs for the United States, and you see that uh, um, you know services was up to nearly 55 from 50, manufacturing to 53.5 from 50. And then you look at the Eurozone and their um, services in particular, uh, that service index fell to barely above that sort of expansion contraction mark, 50.1 from 54.7. And France really was leading the fall, particularly in the service sector. Um, and you look at what's happening with um, with COVID infection rates in, in Spain, in France, in, in Italy, in Germany, and it all fits together um, reasonably logically, I'd have to say. Yeah, it does rather sadly, doesn't it? So France, the seven-day average for new cases is now just over 3,200, the highest it's been since April the 16th. And at the peak, it was 4,400. So it's not that far below that, really. And Germany had its highest infection rate since April uh, on Saturday. So not good news coming out of Europe. Better news coming out of the United States, as we've said, including, uh, well, hey, oil rigs are back. We've seen the first increase in the oil rig count over the weekend, but also, perhaps more importantly, uh, existing home sales up 25% in July. Quite astonishing, really, isn't it? So that's, um, as you say, existing home sales up 24.7%. I think we had a similar sized increase in June. So, you know, home sales are up the best part of 50% in two months, for example. And um, it is, by and large, it's those declining or record low mortgage rates is, is the 
primary driver there, uh, together with sort of the moves or the or the, uh, the moves to the suburbs from uh, from the inner city areas as well. Yeah. Um, you know, as a result of the working from home phenomenon as well. So that seems to be increasing activity and demand you know, outside of, of a business district type areas. So uh, yes, so we're definitely onwards and upwards. So the economic news is certainly improving, but again, obviously we're still you know very much lower than than pre pandemic levels in in many respects. So what about the UK then? Because the uh, the PMIs in the UK did a lot better. They did a different story again to what we saw in Europe. So from fifty six point five to sixty point one for services, there uh, and their retail sales for July we found on Friday were up three point six percent. Okay, there's a bit of structural change going on, but in volume terms, back to pre COVID levels. Uh, that all seems like good news. But the pound down so much, almost one percent on Friday. Yes, no, incredible, isn't it? If you looked at those numbers and said, "Well, I wonder how much the pound went up on Friday." What do you mean it went down the best part of uh, of one percent? But yes, that uh, that manufacturing PMI I think was the strongest level since uh, October two thousand and thirteen, and and retail sales clearly punched the lights out there, up three point six percent, including um, auto fuel, which was particularly strong. Obviously, there's a lot more mobility going on in the UK just at the moment, but clothing sales were up. I think the best part of uh, of twelve percent, and um, you know. Many measures, you know, retail sales are now, as you say, above those pre-pandemic levels. So, you know, certainly good news there. Uh, why is the pound down? Because the latest uh, EU-UK uh, Brexit discussions in Brussels, according to Michel Barnier, the uh, the chief uh, EU negotiator, are going backwards rather than forwards. And uh, and the mood music out of the UK has changed almost 180 degrees from where we were just a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, when the pound was very much in the ascendancy. And um, I was reading, I think it's in the Daily Mail at the weekend that Michael Gove, the chief cabinet minister or the senior cabinet minister, um, you know, is up day and night now preparing for the uh, the possibility of, of a no deal Brexit. Now, remember, it is only mid August, and uh, you know, um, credits to uh, to my London colleague Gavin who uh, continues to, to talk optimistically about this. But he but says um, it's all bravado; <laughs> it's all just jockeying for position. But uh, he has said that look, it's more likely than not this thing will go down to the late September, early October wire. At the moment, principles, I think. Our overriding pragmatism, and uh, we still think that ultimately, you know, pragmatism will win the day. But um, you know, it, it's clearly not not obvious that that is going to be the case. Certainly, from the mood music coming out of uh, of Brussels on Friday, at least. And as you say, so the pound um, very much the the underperformer. So it's uh, very much been sort of up the stairs and down the elevator, hasn't it? Yeah. And, and back to pretty much where it was at the beginning of the week. Now it's going to be a bit of uh, Donald, a bit of a Donald Trump day today. I mean, starting in the next hour or so. But is he becoming the uh, conspiracy theorist in chief because uh, he's uh, tweeting that the FDA the uh, Food and Drug Administration is delaying the vaccine until after November the first uh, 3rd so uh, they're going slow because they don't want him to win an election that is that is pure conspiracy isn't it? That's right was it Member, what was the quote? Members of the deep state in the FDA are uh, slowing down progress of a vaccine to sabotage his re-election bid and uh, as I say if that, uh, that uh, chart I, I mentioned of uh, infection rates versus uh, Joe Biden's probability of winning um, you know as those infection rates have trended lower uh, the odds on a democratic victory Victory have come down a little bit. So uh, there is a little bit of method to his madness in that sense, I would say. 
Um, and uh, as I say in the story, obviously, at yeah. the moment in the Twitter of the Financial Times is that uh, he's considering what emergency use authorization for a UK-developed uh, yeah. plasma or vaccine. Well, there's two so, stories um, here, isn't there? There's that, which is the AstraZeneca, uh, Oxford University uh, vaccine that he's hoping to, to fast track. At least it's not bleach. Got to be thankful for that. He's trying to fast track that. <laughs> uh, but also, there's the other story, which is in uh, Bloomberg this morning as well, that we're expecting in a press conference in the next hour or so that the FDA is going to approve the use of blood plasma uh, for those who've survived the virus. This is according to a Bloomberg report. So this one's not a cure, but a, a possible treatment. So he's going at it from two angles there. Uh, all, of course, trying to happen before the uh, before the election. But also, uh, what about the, uh, the saga of the US Postal Service? Uh, Trump is saying they don't need more money, but the House of Reps passed the legislation that would give them $25 billion in emergency funds. Uh, so uh, they, they can cope with those postal votes. But we've got Louis DeJoy, the uh, Postmaster General, appearing at a House Oversight Committee later today, which is controlled by the Democrats, so he's going to get a roasting. I just wonder whether this story is a little inconsequential now, whether it's just going to blow over. Well, as long as, uh, as you say, Mr. DeJoy can convince that uh, that House committee that um, you know everybody who wants to to vote by post will have their vote uh, recorded and registered in time, then um, you know then maybe there's no need for this this funding bill. But um, it was always expected the House was still going to uh, to come to the uh, to this unusual Saturday session, which it did, approved a twenty five billion dollar uh, additional funding um, and said that um, you know no changes can take place this side of the election to, to the postal. Uh, Postal services that are being offered, but um, the chances of this uh, this getting up in the Senate are, are practically zero. And President Trump has already said that if the bill did get approved by Congress, um, he would veto it. So I don't think this is going anywhere. Um, but it's really a question of whether, um, as I say, that the head of the postal service can really convince the House that um, you know it is going to be business as usual right up to the election, which is um, not the message that was coming out just uh, two weeks ago, was it? Mm. So uh, quite a, a backflip there, and it's a question of, of how credible that. Uh, that promise really is in, in the eyes of uh, eyes of congressmen. And more money needed for the uh, for the Australian recovery. That seems to be the, uh, what came out of the uh, the national cabinet meeting that was held on Friday. There's reports that Philip Lowe was basically saying, 40 billion is needed from states and territories to help create jobs. Uh, if we want to see unemployment fall below seven percent in the next two years, why get? Uh, what I'm curious about here is why get the states to fund it? Why not add to the to the federal debt and and allocate it where it's needed? Why why push the onus on the states? Well, I think it's because of, of what, um, you know, what the, the federal government has already committed to. It's already committed to something that I think is in the order of 15% of, uh, of GDP, uh, whereas what the states have so far committed to is uh, is more like 2.5% of GDP. So I think he's really saying, look, you know, the federal uh, government is stepping up to the plate and is doing a lot, and that's exactly what it should be doing. Um, but he's saying that more can be done and more needs to be done. So it's very much consistent with, uh, with Philip Lowe's message that look at the margin that there's more that the RBA can do but realistically all of the heavy lifting to support the economy has to come um, from the fiscal side and I think he's just saying look there seems to be seems to me to be a lot more space for for the various states to do more so you know he's putting numbers I think it was actually Scott Morrison who put the numbers down but said that 40 billion uh, which is about two percent of GDP on top of the roughly two and a half percent GDP that's already been committed so um, let's see how that uh, that that plays out but um, 
you know, it, it certainly seems, you know, sensible. And, and there has been a bit of criticism that, um, you know, the states are, you know, are just uh, too fixated on preserving their, their high credit ratings. And I think there's a, there's a subtext there that says you shouldn't be too concerned about this. But, um, times like this. you know, you'll continue to be able to fund yeah. um, that increased spending at incredibly low or record low interest rates. So, uh, so, so all be it if, if it does mean that, uh, you know, one or two of the states loses one or two notches as far as their credit rating is concerned. Right. Now, look, this week, uh, the virtual Republican convention is on uh, four days uh, with Donald Trump apparently speaking on all four nights and most of his children are going to be uh, talking to at least those, you know, except for the one that's still going to school. Uh, so part Republican convention, part family reunion by the sounds of it. Uh, but more interesting, perhaps, is going to be and we also get New Zealand retail sales this morning for Q2, but more interesting, perhaps, later on in the week. Uh, is going to be whatever comes out of Jackson Hole, the annual get-together of central bankers. They are going to have a lot to talk about this year. They are, and virtually they'll be talking about it because it won't take place physically. But uh, the keynote, we learned on Friday that Jay Powell, the Fed chair, is going to be talking, and he's going to be talking specifically about this review of the monetary policy framework that's been uh, ongoing all this year. So, And I think it is important because remember that was those FOMC minutes and the evidence or a disappointment that there wasn't uh, you know, explicit commitment um, or, or, or notice that come the September meeting, um, you know, the Fed would announce that review and potentially move to something akin to a sort of an average inflation targeting, which would mean, you know, an explicit commitment to, to run the economy hot with inflation above 2% for a period. So, um, so depending on what we hear out of that, I think that will probably be the sort of defining feature of certainly how the, uh, the US rates market and quite possibly the US dollar performs over right. the week okay. as a whole. I think we've spoken for long enough now. Uh, we'll leave it there, Ray. We'll catch you again very soon. Thank you. Thanks, Phil. And that is it. That's the morning call for this Monday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow morning with Rodrigo. See you then.